you're doing here tonight. We just pray, God, that you would, um, you would totally alter the way we think towards heaven. We thank you, Lord, for this, the seeds that you've sowed in our hearts and our minds. And we pray, God, that ultimately that we would think like you. That our thoughts and your thoughts would be the same thoughts. That we'd actually think the way you think. And I, I pray for that tonight, that you, would, that you would give us a revelation of the mind of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I, I really want to talk about t- that tonight. I want to talk about what's on your mind. And how many of you would like to have your life changed forever? Like, forever. Like, like you'd like to have... Like, you'd like to just go to one session, just have your life changed forever. There's actually a verse that tells you how to be changed forever. And I want to talk to you about that. So turn to Romans chapter 12. It's in the Bible. Do not laugh at the Bible. And it says, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Before we go on and talk about the renewing of the mind in just a moment, Paul tells us that we're to offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. How many understand that the day you receive Jesus Christ, you're in the ministry? <laughs> How people tell me all the time, like, I want to be in the ministry someday. It's like, are you saved? Yes, you're in the ministry. Like, you may suck at it, but you are in the ministry. <laughs> because as soon as you receive Jesus, you're, and you dedicated your body to Christ, everything you did from that day on, it became worship to God. So the guitar player up here, he has, he has this guitar, and he's using it as an instrument of worship. But how many know that if you're a mechanic, your tools are the same kinds of instruments that he's playing when you work on cars and you've dedicated yourself to God, how many understand that the, that the noise on the automobile is worship to God because you've dedicated your life to God? If you're at home with your children, what you're doing with your children is every bit as sacred as what we did here tonight. And I, I love, I, you know, I want to be careful how I say this, but we, you know, we often call this the worship service, and it's all fine. I get that. I'm not reacting to anything. But the only challenge I have is that Life is a worship service. And so sometimes we create expectation, like something special is going to happen right now because the music started. And I like to say that you could have that expectation the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed because the truth is, is that every moment's a worship session for you because you gave your life to God. So I don't say this is, I don't say, well, this is, isn't worship. This is worship, but so was, you, so was you getting up in the morning and the devil said, oh no. Just a good word right there. And therefore, there's no such thing as, se- as secular. You don't have a secular job. I work for UPS. UPS came into the kingdom the day you went to work there. How many know Jesus didn't say, he said, I'll build the church, you extend the kingdom. I don't know why we spend all our time building the church and wonder who's extending the kingdom. How many know all the church is in the kingdom, but not all the kingdoms in the church? That's, I'm right about that. I think Bill taught me that, but it sounds good when I say it. Okay. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Listen, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That was as good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, you can't change your life. How many of you have tried that? 
trying to change my life. You can't change your life. But if you change your thoughts, you'll change your life. That's what the Bible says. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Interesting. Uh, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, it's the story of Jesus going up on the mountain. And I'll just read you a couple of the verses. So six days later, Jesus took, his, took with him Peter, James, and John. If he had Ringo, it would have been a band. And he led them up to the high mountain, and he was, this, this word, he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. This word transfigured, and Jesus became transfigured, and his face shined like the sun, and his garments were as white as light. That word transfigured, and the word in Romans chapter 12, be, don't be conformed, but be transformed. The word transfigured and transformed are the identical word. In other words, when Jesus went up on the mountain and he shined like the sun, that's the word transformed. That we're reading transfigured in our English Bible, it's the same exact word transformed. In other words, you can shine like the sun if you change your mind. If you change your mind, he'll change your life. I don't know how to change my life. Change your thoughts. If you change the way you think, you're like, I'm... I'm only changing the way I think, and I actually want to change my life. If you change the way you think, we say it this way, physical obedience brings spiritual release. If you do what you can do, he'll do what you can't do. (laughs) There's something about doing what you can do. And first of all, I want to say this. There's a lot of confusion about identity. You are not your feelings. And you are not the temptations you resist. You are the virtues you embrace. It's getting quiet in here now. Well, I... Well, let's see. I don't know. How many people want to offend when I get started? People have identified themselves by their desires, their passions, their appetites. I am because I desire. Well, that's, there's no end to that hole. See, here's the challenge. Do you know why God put two trees in the garden? God put two trees in the garden. The devil didn't plant one tree. It's interesting to me that religion cuts down the second tree and calls it sanctification. See, the only way you can get a reward for doing the right thing is to have the opportunity to do the wrong one. And I'd like to suggest to you that the way you build character is to resist things that are wrong, embrace things that are right. When my mom had, my mom had cancer uh, a year and a half ago, and um, by the way, she's doing quite well now. She had lung cancer. I think she was in bed for about almost four months. When she got healed from the cancer, obviously she's weak, but she literally couldn't walk. You know why she couldn't walk? Because she hadn't used her muscles. Like there was nothing physically wrong with her. Her muscles atrophied because she didn't use them. In other words, what creates muscle is the resistance that you feel in gravity and in weight. Are you with me? Like... Building muscle is resisting, is working against the resistance. Are you with me? The way you build character is to have temptation and resist it. 
The day you identify yourself as the temptation, you stop building character muscle. Because the way you build character is to have a second tree and say, I'll not take that tree, and I just resisted it, and I built character. If I say I am my attraction, and I'll just jump into the mess right here, and hopefully you'll like me at the end. If I say I have same-sex attraction, and therefore I am a homosexual. No, no, you are not your attraction. You are not the temptations you resist. You're only the virtues you embrace. The day I say I am my attractions, there is no bottom to that. Now I understand, you know, I'm just using the homosexual example because it's very alive in all of our cultures. And so we were all related to it. We're like, how do, what am I supposed to think about that? And I understand that homosexuality is nothing like being a pedophile. I understand that abusing a child is nothing like two consenting adults. I understand that. I get that. I'm not comparing those two. But I am saying that if I am my desires, then how is a pedophile not wrong? Because the pedophile says, well, I don't know what to say. I'm not attracted to, you know, I'm a man. I'm not attracted to women my age. I'm only attracted to little children. I, I, this has to be the way I was created because I didn't want this. And what I'm getting at is that there is no bottom to that. I'm saying I am not my feelings. My feelings are great servants, but they're terrible masters. I am not my feelings. And we are losing an a, a, a identity we are losing our identity in a crisis of epic proportions in our generation. And Christians are doing nothing to tell people, I'm sorry, you are not your temptation. Listen, temptation is not sin. Well, I must be a sinner because I, I'm tempted... Well, Jesus was tempted in every way. I don't know if you've been tempted in every way, but Jesus was tempted in every way, except without sin. So he had to be able to, be, to relate to every kind of sinner. So he was tempted in every way, except without sin. So temptation cannot be sin. Because Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he was called the spotless lamb. Being tempted is called normal. It's called normal. I'm right about that. I just thought about it again. I'm like... <laughs> there would be no anxiety in the room if I shared this 30 years ago. This would have been, uh-huh, okay, tell us something we don't know. This thing, there is... Oh, I'm off course, but I feel... <laughs> I'm telling you what's related to immoral culture is a culture, a culture of entitlement. I need it. I want it. It's mine. I should have it if I want it. And I'm saying, that thing's killing us. Like we have to get back to second tree. I don't want that. Jesus made wine for people who are already drunk. Jesus wouldn't do that. He would never make wine for people already drunk. Well, then he made grape juice. And you have to figure out why he served the great grape juice first. <laughs> anyway. 
Your Europeans don't have a problem with this at all, but the Americans have a problem with this. Jesus made wine for people who are already drunk. Why, why would Jesus do that? Because the only way you can get a reward for doing the right thing is to have the opportunity to do the wrong one. In churches, you know, we, I, mean, I love church. I, I've, I think I've probably been to more services than most people in their life. I mean, even before I got paid to come to church. I mean, I actually came to church so long, they finally like, we should give them a job. <laughs> and we go to churches where nothing ever goes wrong. You know why? Because every time something goes wrong, they make a new rule. Then they make a new rule. Then that guy, well, they'll make a new rule. And pretty soon, nothing goes wrong because nothing's going. <laughs> nothing goes wrong in our church. Ain't nothing going. And the place goes from a movement to a monument. I am, I'm trying. <laughs> My wife says, your face looks intense. You look mad. So I'm not mad, I'm just excited, actually. I'm excited because we could actually change the world because we have the truth, and the truth will free you. And you know the worst temptation in life? Write this down. The worst temptation you can have, write this down, the one you have. So people that have same-sex attraction, like, you don't understand what it's like. Oh, no, I don't have, have any idea what it's like to want something I'm not supposed to have. I'm sorry, that's called human. Everybody, I have a wife, I see other beautiful women, I'm like, no, no, I'm a one-woman man. Not just in my physical sex life, in my mind. When I said I do, I said it to only one person. I do. So I have to mat you. Are you with me? Like I actually have to manage myself towards one woman, because my appetite could be for many. It's not for many because I physically, mentally, emotionally manage myself towards one woman. Sometimes it's harder than other times, but I manage myself towards one woman, and that's called love. <laughs> I love you, but I sleep with other women. I'm sorry, don't love me like that. <laughs> love me like this. That's not called love, that's called alley cat. I'm getting it too loose. Okay, so... I, Jason's our, uh, one of our, he's our main counselor here and he trains all of our counselors and every once in a while I watch, I walk in, I, I talk to somebody, uh, run into somebody who, who's being counseled by my son or has been and they tell me a little story and I, I love him. So I was talking to this guy the other day and my son was helping him restore his marriage. And so, and he was telling me this funny story. He says, yeah, your son decided that my real root problem was selfishness. I never think of other people. So I sat down with him, and I, and, and I said, okay, I agree with you. What do I do about it? He said, set your clock for 10 and 5, and when it rings, let it come up and say, think of someone else. <laughs> so he says, for six months, I've been, I have my iPhone in my pocket, and it rings at 10, and it says, think of someone else. So I stop, and I think of someone else. <laughs> and at 5, it rings again, so in case, in case I haven't thought of someone else all day, at least I can finish well. And the phone rings again, and it says, think of someone else. 
You know what he's doing? He's retraining his mind. He's saying, I've been selfish. I don't want to be selfish, but I actually need some practical tools to not be selfish. How do I learn to think of others? Well, sometimes I have to just put it on my phone and say, oh, 10 o'clock. Oh, think of somebody else. Who have I? Think of someone else. Okay, who, oh, maybe I should think of my wife right now. Oh, maybe I should send her some flowers. He says, I've sent her flowers. He says, I've bought presents for her twice a day sometimes. <laughs> it's amazing to me that all of us do this, at least at some length. Like we spend a half an hour to an hour every morning getting ready. And we're, we're like, we are obsessed with the way we look on the outside. And we don't spend five seconds thinking about the kingdom within us. And I'm thinking, what would, listen, nothing wrong with, you know, looking good on the outside. But what would happen if we spent half that amount of time every day building the kingdom within us? I'm saying, I'm saying on purpose, proactively, not like, oh, it happens sometimes. I mean, like, proactively, on purpose, I, as I'm getting ready, I love Jason, another thing Jason did, he was telling me this story, and I've heard it many times now. When someone believing a lie, he's counseling them. He gives them the truth. He writes on a piece of paper. He goes, write this on your mirror. So when you're getting ready in the morning, you're looking at the truth. The truth is, I am beautiful. I'm adored by God. I'm a winner and not a loser. What happens? I'm looking, I'm, I'm combing my hair, but I'm thinking my spirit man is saying, I'm a winner. I was born to win. I am loved by God. I don't feel loved. How many know feelings are great? Servants, but terrible masters. And I'm simply saying, what would happen if we proactively built our inner man? Like on purpose, did things that actually proactively change the way we think. Because if you change the way you think, God will change your life. Naaman the leper, he got in, you know the story, Nile River, Nile, Jordan, Nile. Whatever. He got into water. That's <laughs> whatever. I don't know. You know, the stories get all mixed up. <laughs> you don't know either. You're like, I don't know. It was a river. And he dipped himself seven times. And he came out clean. How many know there was like no power in the water? I mean, you go dip seven times. Nothing's going to happen to you. But when God says, do this, and you do it, the physical obedience brings spiritual release. You're like, I have a porn addiction. Okay, first of all, you can't possibly be addicted if you know Jesus. I feel addicted. You can feel addicted, but you can't really be addicted. Why? Because there's a greater power in you. The creator lives inside of you. Listen, the guy who made everything, who's never been born, he lives inside of you. And greater is he that's in you than in the world. So you can't, you can feel addicted, but you can't really be addicted. So how do I convince myself I'm not addicted? I change my mind. And when I change my mind, I begin to change my behavior. When I change my behavior, I begin to create this ecosystem where I no longer feel addicted because I've been telling myself the truth. And the truth is, that thing has no... Listen, if deadly poison won't kill me, then drugs can't addict me and porn can't keep me. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Where's truth? 
in the reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Every morning you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, I put on my new man. And I lay aside the old man. How many of you old man's dead? Don't visit. Don't leave flowers. Don't go there. Don't neck romance. Don't talk to the dead. Some people are like, you would never raise your dead uncle, but you go raise your dead self every morning. You know, like breathe into him. I resurrect you. No, leave him dead. Don't drag him around with you. He's dead. The book of Romans, 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 6, 7, 8. 47 times. Dead, 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 dead. Times 4, add 7. You're really dead. You're the grateful dead. You're the grateful dead. Your old man's dead. God didn't modify him. He didn't fix him. He killed him. He didn't even counsel him. I mean, I'm right about that too. I thought about it. Your old man's dead, so just leave him alone. Like, leave him at the graveyard. You know, when you got into the baptismal tank, you know, in order to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross. But Jesus was going somewhere. I mean, Jesus isn't carrying a cross anymore. He was crucified once and for all. Are you with me? So you take up your cross and you follow Jesus. Where do you fall to? To the baptismal tank. What happens at the baptismal tank? Well, how many know baptism is not a symbolic act? You understand that communion is a symbolic act? Jesus said about communion, do this in remembrance of me. So I take communion to remember what side of the cross I live on. But baptism is not a symbolic act. It's a prophetic act. That's what we were just talking about. A prophetic act means physical obedience brings spiritual release. It's the whole story of Naaman. Seven times he dunks and he comes out clean. How many know that was not a symbolic act? It was a prophetic act. So you got in the tank with a cross and we dipped you under the water. But how many know there's two parts to the prophetic act? The most important part we almost ignore. The first part is we put you under the water. What's that say? Romans 6 says that if you died in the likeness of his death, how many know? You just died with Christ. You didn't pretend to. You actually died. You're like, I don't feel dead. Well, have them hold you under longer. <laughs> but the most powerful part, actually, this is why, it's, you know, if, you're, if you got sprinkled, awesome. You did, it's all good. But this is why sprinkling, like, different. I'm not, like, it's just sprinkle all. I don't care, but... The second part, you can't do this when sprinkle, because the second part of the prophetic act is we pull you up out of the water. That's the most powerful part of baptism, is when we lift you up, because if you raised in the likeness of his resurrection, if you, if you identify with the likeness of his death, then you shall be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Therefore, you will never again die. You're alive to Christ and dead to sin. 
Not you will be, you just were. So I, I, entered, the, I, entered, <laughs> I entered the baptismal tank with a cross, but I exited with a crown. I come in an old man, I leave a new man. I go in a sinner, I leave a saint. I love Carrie Underwood's um, song, There Must Be Something in the Water. <laughs> yeah, it's Jesus is in there. So we began to learn how to manage, if you will, the new man. We put on the new man, and we give, it says, and we renew the spirit of our mind, and we give the new man no place for lust. How do we do that? We learn to manage our appetites. We do these moral revolution conferences all over the world, actually, and we teach young people, first of all, having a sex drive is called normal. It's called normal. So, you know, we, we, we have to make sure that our young people are not shamed out of the church. <laughs> they hit puberty at 13, 12, 13, 14, and suddenly they have a sex drive. What does it mean to have a sex drive? It means I want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> and they go tell their youth pastor, I, I want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> they get the elders together. You know, yeah, yeah, How do you feel? I want to have sex with somebody. (laughs) And of course you don't tell anybody because you don't think anyone else in the room is feeling that way. And we shame people right out of the church. And we need to say to Johnny, Johnny, that's called normal. That's how we all got here. I mean, thank God, you know, you didn't lay an egg and like sit on it for nine months. I mean, who would do that? There'd be, like, be like three of us in here. <laughs> Bill would be here for sure, because he had a godly father. <laughs> and I'm saying, we have to teach our young people, right? And our old people. But we have, to te- we have a whole generation coming up that because I feel it, I should do it. I'm like, no, no, you're going you're, you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna atrophy. You're going to look like, you know, my mom, 98 pounds in bed, haven't moved for four months. It's what you're going to look like a year from now if you don't learn how to manage your man, your inner man. And so we teach young people, like, no, no, the reason why you have sex drive years before you're supposed to have sex because the value of your virginity is in the blood, sweat, tears it takes to get your virginity from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So on the night you lay with your lover, you have something to give that you had to fight to keep. Because anyone can give away something expensive, but only people who understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. The greater your sex drive, the greater the trophy. That's why I have a sex drive years before I'm supposed to have sex. So I have something valuable to give. Because, how many of you know, the NBA trophy. My, my grandson's sitting next to me the other day. He goes, we're watching the NBA. By the way, go Cavs. I actually love the Warriors too, so I couldn't lose. It was like beautiful. Like, what's the chances that both my teams play each other two years in a row? It's like your brother's playing it for each other. Like, I cannot lose. But, you know, we're watching the NBA 
with, with my grandson sitting on the couch, and he's like, and you know, then they give him the trophy, and he says, is that real gold? <laughs> the trophy, is it real gold? That's an honest answer. Like, you worked that hard, you played 82 regular games, and all of these games in the playoffs, like, you should get a gold trophy. No, it's not. It's just played it. He's like, oh. I said, no, no, the value, what gives the trophy value is not the medal. <laughs> it's the battle. <laughs> The value of virginity is the battle. That's what gives the trophy value. But we have to teach our young people how to manage their appetite. I have lots of parents come up after a message like this, like, well, you know, I've got two teenagers. Like, how do I teach them to manage them? Well, it's, it's you. Well, you should have started at one. And at two, when they're in the store and they scream for ice cream... And you said, you can't have it now. You were delaying gratification. You were teaching them how to manage that thing that says, I need it now. And you say, you don't get it now. That's, I'm saying, if we teach our children, there's there's good things that are good for you that you can't have right now. You can have ice cream after dinner. But if a kid throws himself on the floor and throws a tantrum and we give him the ice cream, what did we just teach them? We teach them the opposite of how God behaves. And God goes, if you throw a tantrum all week, then you'll get no ice cream all week. (laughs) And the day you have a good attitude is the first day I'll be thinking about giving you ice cream. (laughs) We have to teach our kids, this is how God thinks. God doesn't do, I feel sorry for you. Your mother feels sorry for you, but God is your father. Yeah, you throw a pity party, someone will come, but his name's Lucifer. <laughs> well, okay. Paul said before I got up here, how are you feeling? I said, not anointed. I, I know why I'm not anointed now. So we're talking about changing your mind. How do I change my mind? I don't let my feelings dictate how I think. I feel down. Well, think up. I'm saying, we're so used to our mind telling us what we'll think. I'm like, no, no, my spirit tells my mind what to think. My soul says, you know, we're not doing too good. My spirit goes, I don't know about you, but we're soaring out here. We're doing good. I mean, what can be against us? (laughs) Well, it feels like everything's going wrong. Well, everything works out for good in the end, so if it's not good, then it's not the end. We're winning. We're winners. We were born to win. We... We have eyes in front of us. We have arms that only work forward. We got feet that are pointed forward. They, they don't swivel backwards. I, I was not born to retreat. I, was, I don't have an eye in the back of my head so I can go backwards. You think God's really smart. You know, we have fish. Like, you, picture, you see fish, they have eyes everywhere. And, you know, they have backup alarms and all this stuff glow in the dark. I mean, you don't think God couldn't have thought about putting an eye in the back of your head? You understand Romans 1 says God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature are clearly seen in what God made. You look at the way you're designed, and you go, it says something about what you were supposed to be doing. 
You weren't supposed to be backing up. You have no backup alarm, and you have no eye behind your head, and you can't fight backwards. And God said, I'll be your rear guard. And then Jesus said, if you look back when you're plowing, you're not worthy of the kingdom. You're not even supposed to look back. You know, you, your head won't even swivel backwards. Unless you, you know, anyway. I know that was a movie. Whatever you don't manage will manage you. If you don't manage your feelings, they will manage you. You will every day ask yourself, Bill did a great job. I, I don't know if it was a session or in between sessions you were sharing. Where he's talking about the fact that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't self-examine. Like, how am I feeling? How am I doing? And, and there's, there's probably times to do that. But his point is, I don't live thinking about how I'm feeling. I let my spirit tell me how I'm doing. So if I don't manage my appetites, my appetites, they will manage me. Thank you, Chris, for that. I feel totally convicted now. Well, you should manage yourself then. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, "Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals." I, I'm just talking about changing your mind. Sometimes you have to change your friends. And by the way, I believe and we believe very much in touching the deepest, darkest person in the world, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar killing. Christians, or, or whether it's you know some person under the under the street, under the bridge, whatever, we should touch the deepest, darkest people. But who influences us? A totally different thing. Who I let influence the way I think—that's a totally different thing. I remember years ago, my son would go. One of my sons would go over his friend's house. He was wasn't a bleeder. It's all fine, and stay overnight. But his friend was his friend was very dis, disrespectful to his mother and father. And so every once in a while, he'd stay overnight, and he'd come back with the same attitude his friend had. I'll say, hey, you want to stay friends with him? Okay, you have to influence him. But if he's influencing you, you can't stay there anymore. He who walks with wise men will himself be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's important that we find people who will pour water on the fire of our fears. And pour gasoline on the passion of our destiny. I don't know what it is about human nature. And I think we probably all like this on some level. But there's something about hanging around with people who are fearful when you're fearful. That kind of makes you feel good. But it's called stuck. I don't know why I'm stuck. Yeah, you're stuck because all the people you're hanging around with, they all think like you. Which is thinking, thinking. You know what happens when you hang around with people who think well when you don't? You feel convicted. That's called good. <laughs> you want to get wealthy? Hang around wealthy people. Hanging around broke people and wanting to be wealthy ain't going to happen. <laughs> you should have all kinds of friends. There. How's that? Mercy. <laughs> Mark 4.24, this is really good. I really got some revelation on this the other day. Mark 4.24, Jesus said this. He was saying to them, take care, take care what you listen to. Listen to this part though. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Did you get that? Okay, let me just read it to you again. 
He was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Okay, that's pretty simple, right? But listen to the very next verse. By the standard of your measure, it will be measured to you. Speaking of what you listen to. right? You can't always help what you hear, but you can always help what you listen to. Take care of what you listen to. By your standard, speaking of listening, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. So, um, the last uh, a year or so, I've been working on, like, I have this passion. Um, we all have this passion in this house, really. We have this passion to influence culture. Like, how do we actually change the world? Like, how do we actually do it? Like, make the disciples of all nations. The Muslims are making disciples of five nations. Christians, zero. Like, how do we start making disciples? How do we change the way people think? I mean, we have a, a you know, small group of three, 3% of our populations dictating political policy. Like, how do we do it? Like, it can't be that hard. And so I've been thinking, and one of the, one of the ways is, I really think that the internet and social media and social networking, people, lots of people don't go to church, but everybody reads Facebook. Everybody reads, you know, Twitter. Everybody looks at Instagram. The people that look at Instagram can't read. So no real reason to write a message there. Just show the fish. Feel all the artistic people. Of course, I'm being funny, but... So, so I was talking to... So um, we had this consultant come in, and I was talking to him about, like, how do we actually... Like, how do we expand the amount of... How, how do we get out of our pond and expand our, our connections to people? How do we get some God thoughts into people who aren't in our pool? Because your people are going to... They're in your pool already, so you don't have to try how do we touch, how do we get some these these ideas, these, these concepts, these revelations, this, these God thoughts, how do we get them to people who, who maybe wouldn't click on us? And, he, and, and so this, this consultant, this is about four months ago, he was sitting in my office and he was explaining how the internet works. Now, a bunch of you guys probably know, I'm like probably the most ignorant person in, in, when it comes to technology, at least on our team. So this was all new to me. He started explaining to me that the actual, the actual internet has a memory. Like the internet itself has a memory. And he said that it, it creates an algorithm. And it actually, when you buy something from Amazon or anywhere, but let's just say Amazon, when you buy something on Amazon, as soon as you click fishing pole, it remembers that you said fishing pole. And then when you got on a Facebook page and the Facebook page that you clicked like on, that guy likes fishing, it keeps that in mind that you bought a fishing pole and you clicked on a guy who's got words like fishing in his Facebook or Instagram or whatever. In other words, it begins, the internet remembers and begins to know what you like and what you don't like. And then, really smart people, like big companies, they buy, like, they buy marketing software that says, hey, I want to sell fishing poles and I only want to market it to people who actually are interested in fishing poles. And that, the internet goes out and it says, all these people, how, you want to do it just in the U.S.? You want to do it just in your city? How do you want to do it? And it begins to, and it goes out and it sends a message. So a little pop-up message goes, hey, you probably like this fishing pole. And the reason why that popped up on you, on your, on your post, is because you've been connecting with people who like fishing. So people who want to sell fishing stuff they 
have little messages that pop up on your Facebook page and Instagram all these different places. Are you with me? If you click on a porn site, the, your mom will not see it, but God and the internet do. <laughs> and it remembers it. You click on it again, it goes, oh, I see what you like. And suddenly you're the guy that gets 20 emails a day that's porn. You know why? Because you said, this is what I listen to. And therefore, by the measure that you listen, it will be given to you. And more besides. I clicked on Jason's fishing pole. I clicked on Bill's fishing thing. I bought a fishing pole. And it goes, oh, you like that? I'll give you more besides. I clicked on a naked woman. Oh, I clicked on another porn site. I clicked on that. It goes, oh, you like that? Let me give you more besides. And Jesus said, that's exactly how the spirit world works. He was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. Take care. Because by your measure, by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you and more besides. You ever notice that bitter people know all the other bitter people in church? Have you ever had someone who's mad at you come up and talk to you? And have you ever had them just say, I'm mad at you? No, no, no. Me and 43 other people in the church that came to me. You know why they came to you? Because you measured, I listened to that. And the devil goes, I'll give you more besides. You want to change your mind? Stop clicking on that crap. Because every time you click on it, you tell the Holy Spirit, no, you tell the spiritual, uh, Holy Spirit's true too, but it's bigger than that. You tell the spirit internet, this is what I like, give me more of it. And you'll find people that you can be, there'll be a thousand people in church. We know this is absolutely true. A thousand people in church, a brand new person will come to church who left their other church because they're bitter with their pastor. And it's amazing, within a week, they will find the other person who's bitter with us. When someone comes up to me and says, I left my last church, they're not as spiritual as you guys, you know, they just don't understand the you know, Holy Spirit, I, I don't even listen to that. I'm like, we're the next victim. You just told me what your measure is. You were looking to be critical of your leaders, and you were, it might take you a year, but, you'll, but what you... How many know? What they said about you, they will say about you to other people. It just takes time. I don't even want those people in my circle. In fact, they come up and start complaining about their pastor saying, I'm sorry, I don't listen to that stuff. Why? Because Jesus said, be careful what you listen to. I'm sorry, I don't listen to that stuff. Somebody on our staff, and we all do this. They come in and say, I got this problem with Eric. I said, have you go talk to Eric? Well, no. Well, then what are you doing talking to me? You, I'm not Eric. Go talk to Eric. Got a problem with Kathy? Go talk to Kathy. And if you got a problem with me, you don't talk to Bill, you talk to me. If you can't work that out, then you can talk to us. But you can't talk to us till you've talked to me. I'm saying, it's just, this is about changing your mind. What do you listen to? What do you allow people to talk to you about? That's a good word. I was um, in the bathtub. 
I, I, I actually tell you, I take a bath every night. I don't like showers. I like to see that I've accomplished something. <laughs> I like to know, like, the float, what's floating. I'm like, whoa, that was... I was... That was a hard day, right there. That's... It smelt like that all day. I like to know. I like to know I've, I've done something that's good. <laughs> it was what you listened to. And on Saturdays, I, I like to like, if, if I can, it, usually Saturday and Monday are typically our days off if we're home. And I like to, and I, Robert Morse called me. You know Robert Morse Gateway Church? That guy's amazing. He's a friend of our house. and We, we count him as a great man of God. But he, he called me, this has probably been a year ago, and he said, um, I have a word for you, Mike. What is it? He said, do you know that this keeping the Sabbath rest is the fourth commandment before thou shalt not murder? I'm like, all right. He said, are you murdering? I'm like, no, no. Are you resting? Mm-hmm. Kind of. I'm just tell, and I'll tell the truth. I said, kind of. I've just been proactively working towards learning how to rest. That sounded weird. I'm working to rest. I'm working hard on resting. Anyway, forget that. So I take a bath on, on, on Saturdays. I like to sleep until I can't sleep anymore. So I just like keep trying. I put the covers over my head. And I sleep until I can't sleep anymore. And then I get up and I like to lay in the tub for like at least an hour. Did anyone else ever do And we have a cloth with bathtub. It's totally cool. It's a fire glass. It's a, not real. It's if, like a false prophet. But it holds water, and it looks cool. So, so I lay in the bathtub, and I like to lay there a long time. I like hot water, you know, and I just get my foot, and I keep turning the water on. And just, about six months ago, I was laying in the bathtub, and I thought to myself, how cold will this water get? Like, if I don't turn it on, like, how cold? I know, it sounds so stupid, huh? I know. Like, I'm laying in the water, and I think to myself, I wonder how cold this water will get. If I don't turn it on, like, how, like will I be shivering? How cold will this water get? And then I said to myself, I know how cold this water will get. It will get 70 degrees. I know exactly how cold it will get. Like, if I leave it all night, it'll still be 70 degrees. You know why? Because before I got in the tub, I set the thermostat in the room at 70 degrees. So I'm laying there, I'm thinking, huh, you know what? What I cultivate dominates. See, the temperature in the bathtub is proactively kept through an ecosystem and that ecosystem has set to 70 degrees so I started thinking am I a thermostat or a thermometer because with a thermometer I'm always you know the Bible says to rise and shine but when I'm a thermometer I'm just rising and reflecting all I'm doing is I'm just mirroring the temperature of the room But if I'm a thermostat, I change the temperature of the room. I proactively change the temperature of the room. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I spit you out. And I was thinking about that verse when I was laying in the tub. I'm like, I know I spit you out. It takes no energy to be lukewarm. Lukewarm is room temperature. But it takes effort to be cold, 
And it takes effort to be hot. Lukewarm means I'm just the temperature of the culture I'm in. And I'm called, I'm called to set the temperature. And I set the temperature in the room, metaphorically speaking, by the ecosystem. So, you know, what happens is I set this to seven degrees, right? I set seven degrees. But how many understand that setting that thing to seven degrees, that doesn't actually do anything except for tell the air conditioner he wants seven degrees. How many know that the air that's blowing out of the vents, if it's hot outside and it's cooling, right? I'm saying, are you, I know, you're like, this is simple. Would you please stop boring us? We understand how air conditioners work. It's a metaphor, so you have to stay with me, like Jesus with the, you know, the parables. I'm saying, your belief system is the thermostat. I believe I am loved. I believe I should love my neighbor. I believe I should love my wife. I set the temperature to, I love my wife. But how many know that the air that's blowing out of the vents is my behavior? I can say I believe it, but... If I don't have behavior, if love doesn't look like something, I'm never going to create an ecosystem that's going to, metaphorically speaking, keep the temperature, the temperature I want. Because it's what I cultivate dominates. What I want doesn't matter, only what I will. I can want to go to heaven and not go to heaven. I can want to have a great body and not have a body like this. You have to will this body. And I have a lot invested. I'll tell you what, you know what? If we go through the Great Tribulation, I'm going to go the first three years and not even have to worry about taking the mark because I won't have to eat. All you skinny people, six months, you'll be the mark of the beast. Sorry, that was a joke. I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. He's afraid of me. I hope. Bill's like, I hope he is. I believe he got defeated on the cross, so I'm already, I'm good. But I'll tell you what, if there is an Antichrist, like now, I'll be the happiest person he ever killed. <laughs> Okay, can we move on? So, <laughs> ecosystem. You develop an ecosystem by changing the way what you believe, acting on it, and being persistent about it. Are you with me? Just let me. See. I know it's very simple. I get this, but we're talking about changing our life. How do I change my life? I change the way I think. How do I keep my my thoughts changed by acting on the right thoughts, and then doing it again tomorrow? And then the next day, and then when people resist the right thing, I push past their resistance and I go, I do the right thing against peer pressure. I do the right thing against cultural norms that are actually not right. I do the right thing when it costs me something. I, what I'm getting at is that if I do the right, if I think the right thoughts, 
and let those thoughts do the right thing for 40 days, I will actually have spirit muscle memory. It will be harder for me to do the wrong thing after 40 days of doing, did you hear me say? Not just thinking, doing the right thing. If I can get myself to think the right thing and do the right thing for 40 days, it will be harder for me to do the wrong thing than it is to do the right thing. It's not that hard. I feel stuck. You're not. I love what Mark Twain said. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. I feel stuck. Find out why you're alive. And you won't be stuck because you were born to win. You were born to rule. It's Genesis 1. It's, it's, it's never changed. It's interesting. Culture is an interesting thing. I just have a few minutes. You know, in 1945, Korea split into two countries, North and South Korea. The North obviously taken by Russia, the South taken by America. Same people, same continent, same resources, put a wall through them. Are you with me? Communism, democracy. These people prosper. These people can't feed their own people. What's the difference? The way they think. The way they think. Like, the grass is greener on the other side. No, no, the grass is greener on the side of the fence you water. You look over the fence, you see that green fence. How many know when God shows you something you don't have, it's not to make you jealous, it's to show you what's possible. When you see the grass that's greener on the other side, don't want your neighbor's house Ask your neighbor how he made it green. <laughs> Somebody said, if you, if you need money, don't ask for money. Ask why you need money. Well, I'm saying, go after the core ecosystem of people who are doing it right and go, how did you do that? I'd like to do that too. How did you make your lawn green? Listen, I have brown grass on my side of the fence and you just have a fence, a four-inch wide fence, and you have green I can't make my grass green. What do you do? I, it's a metaphor. I'm saying, you look at people that have green grass, you don't steal the house. You go, that must be possible. There's only a fence separating them and us. God's no respecter of person. If God blessed them, he would bless me. Six minutes. I love this... Um, one of our people sent me this. I put it on Facebook. I love Facebook. You want to, ever, want to know what people really think? Just put something on Facebook. They'll tell you what they really think. In, 19, in, the, in the 50s, Kurt uh, Richer, a Harvard graduate, and John Hopkins, a scientist, did a series of experiments that tested how long rats could swim in a high-sided buckets of circulating water before drowning. <laughs> you can imagine what kind of... The poor rats. We kill those things at my house with traps. Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Dr. Richard found that under normal circumstances, a rat could swim. <laughs> that sounds so bad now. <laughs> Dr. Richard found that under normal circumstances, a rat could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. However, if he rescued the rats just before drowning, dried them off, and and let them rest briefly, then put them back in the same buckets of circulating water. The rats could swim for 60 hours. 
Yes, 60 hours. If a rat was temporarily, temporarily saved, it would survive 240 times longer than if it was temporarily, than if it was not temporarily saved. This makes no sense. How could these rats swim so much longer during a second session, especially just after swimming as long as possible to stay alive during the first session? Dr. Richard concluded that rats were able to swim longer because they were given hope. A better conclusion is that rats were able to swim longer because they were given energy through hope. The rats had a clear picture of what being saved looked like, so they kept swimming. You wouldn't be surprised how many people didn't get that at all. Like, oh, rats, why did you uh, put the rats on there? <laughs> Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But, but I'm sorry, but, but, something. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Do you know, hope deferred, Bill, Bill actually taught us this. Hope deferred, it's not that I hoped for something and it didn't happen, so I got sick. It's that I stopped hoping. It's hope that's deferred, not the thing I hope for deferred. Are you with me? In other words, I know it's a bad example now, taking it to the Bible, but the rat swam because it had hope. When the hope was deferred, in other words, they didn't have hope, they swam for 15 minutes. But when they rescued them and put them back in, the fact that they felt that they could be rescued, they swam for 60 hours. I'm saying this is the difference in the way we think. If we want to change our minds, we have to keep hope alive in us. Well, what if the thing that I hope for doesn't happen? Okay, well, keep believing it will. Well, what if it doesn't happen the next day? Well, it will. When? Sometime. But if you stop hoping, that makes you sick. Are you with me? And I love, I think Bill said it in one of his messages this week, I can't afford to have a thought in my mind that God doesn't have in his. And any thought in my mind that doesn't inspire hope is not from God. So you have a right to question any hopeless thought. Those are thoughts that you shouldn't, what? Listen to. When you have a hopeless thought, you're like, I don't, I'm not listening to that. Because how many know the truth overrides the facts. The doctor tells you the facts, but God tells you the truth. And the truth always overrides the facts. So I want to pray for you all. So I don't want you to drown in 15 minutes. <laughs> Would you stand, please? I love this. You know, the devil fears you at your place of destiny. The devil fears you at your place of destiny. The devil doesn't care about your historic past, but he cares a lot about your divine future. So the fact that you're being resisted, don't lose hope. Resistance means you're going the right way. And the truth is that if you don't meet a demon once in a while on, your, on the road you're going then maybe you're going the same way they are. 
And Jesus said, love your enemies, so you need to make sure you have some. <laughs> so put your hand on your head, and I'm going to pray for you. So Holy Spirit, just say this, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Change, my mind. change my mind. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to think like you. I want to be full of hope, walking in faith, and filled with joy. I don't want my feelings to dictate my life. Tell me how I'm doing or tell me what to do. From this day forward, I'm going to change the way I think so I can be transfigured and transformed into the image of God. I want to imitate God because I'm a beloved child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 